Okay, you ready, AP? Ready when you are. Let's lay this baby down. Lofty, you on the guitar, mate. You right, Scope? Yep, standing by. Bertie, you on the bass? Yep, ready to go. All right, here we go then. One, two, three, four. Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting a harm. Before he never saw the hand, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get him, but the Lord never will. For casting away the only way they know how. With a little more mojo than the Lord will allow. Welcome to or welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show, a little show that's about getting your mojo working in or out of work, helping you get at work, giving you the tips and tools to get through your day, be your best. Nice to have you on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show, and always Asleep at the Wheel. That was a song, wasn't it? Who wrote Asleep at the Wheel? I don't know. You got me there. No, there is definitely a track called Asleep at the Wheel. Anyway. Driving the big red bus with his blue seat covers and the lava lamp in the back seat. Uh, Robbo, welcome to this week's show. How you going, mate? I'm going good and sitting there in the back seat, uh, sprawled but awake, our voiceover guy, uh, bevy in hand, AP. Welcome to this week's show, mate. Carry on, chaps. He sounds so excited to be here, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still waiting for his first paycheck. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's go on with the show. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week is a fascinating lady that I met in San Diego a little ways back. We were both on a speaking platform there for a big crowd of world chairmen for a company called Vistage. And during the rehearsals and stuff, I got to know Dr. Eve Grodnitsky. And Eve is a psychologist, an author, and of course, as I just mentioned, a keynote speaker. And Eve has got a PhD in social psychology and works with the big end of town. So the big Fortune 500 companies on leadership development and performance and all the stuff that goes with it. But what, what fascinated me and the reason I wanted to get Eve on the show was that Eve works with clients on developing a growth mindset. This is work that has come up on the show before from a lady who wrote a book called Growth Mindset called Dr. Carol Dweck. And this is a topic 
of great interest for me and I thought you guys would enjoy it. So I sent a note to Eve following our little gig in San Diego to say, why don't you come on the show and talk us through it? So Eve, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks so much for having me. Glad, glad, glad to be here. Grad, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Just put those teeth back in. Really awesome start. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, we've started the show with a new word. So how can you yeah. go wrong there? <laughs> That's fantastic. Good. Is there nowhere to go but up from here? <laughs> exactly. That's that's probably the theme the theme to our show. Just quietly, um, Eve. When people ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? Oh gosh, um, I'm still trying to get that down to a reasonable explanation. I mean, usually what I say first is I do leadership development and executive education. Basically, I teach really cool grown ups cool stuff. <laughs> I like that. Now, when I met you in San Diego, you're about to walk onto stage to speak in front of a big audience about mindset. I want to sort of dig into that because I've got my own questions, having heard your stuff and met you, I've got my own questions on mindset. If, if we start from the absolute fundamentals, how do you describe a mindset? Let's say a mindset. Well, I think that the most important thing to understand at the beginning is that the original research by Carol Dweck and her team, Carol Dweck's a research psychologist, I'm a research psychologist as well, um, really defined mindset as one of two options, either fixed mindset or growth mindset, and ultimately really just described it as the really fundamental ways we see, understand, perceive, and interact with the world. I, I really talk about it like your brain's core programming the fundamental ways you think about the world and most importantly, how people work. So, you know, me, you, and and everybody else. So we're going to dig into fixed and growth mindset. And I'll get you to give us the executive summary of those two things. And what I'd like to know is, can you be fixed in one part of your life, but be in a growth mindset in a different part of your life? Is it, is it, you dig in, you are either one or the other, or can you actually be shared through a day or a week? Can you go in between depending on circumstance? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first read the original um, research, which was Carol Dweck's Mindset book, which is a fantastic read and methodologically very sound as well, you know, I kind of walked away with the sense that you either had one mindset or the other. And you know, I, I gotta be honest, it's just not my experience of how it works with real people um, in the real world outside the lab. I really do think about it much more as a continuum. And, you know, people tell me every single week, every single session that I do, that they feel that they're much more growth mindset in one part of their life or certain areas of their life and much more fixed mindset in other parts of their life as well. So I kind of think of it, you know, if you can imagine a continuum with with fixed on the left and growth on the right. Every person's got some kind of average or typical way of showing up in the world and then some degree of range around that. Uh, and it does seem to be somewhat context specific uh, where we fall on that continuum in any given moment or situation. So describe for me, give me the, the summary of, give me the, uh, describe a, a fixed mindset. So what are the attributes? What's a person like who is fixed yeah. as opposed to a growth person. Yeah. Well, it's really rooted in your beliefs about how the world works and how people work. So the fundamental belief 
that lies behind fixed mindset is the belief that intelligence and skills are inherent traits. You either have them or you don't. You know, so life's a big genetic card game. Everybody gets dealt a hand at birth. You get some good cards, you get some bad cards. Your job is to figure out what are the good cards you got and play the heck out of them because you're never getting any more cards. And when you think that that's how the world works, and it's neither good nor bad, it's just what it is, you get a really unfortunate set of behaviors as a result of that. So we see really six kind of key behaviors that characterize fixed mindset. One is an intense focus on looking smart, proving to yourself and everybody else how smart you are. Got to have the last word on everything and be right about everything all the time. You'd rather be right than happy. Um, we also tend to see an avoidance of challenges because I'm afraid of failing and looking stupid. Um, a tendency to give up easily because if I try something new and I fail, it means I'm, I didn't get the card. There's no point in continuing. Also, don't want to advertise the fact that I didn't get the card. It makes me feel like a total loser. Um, disdain effort. So I look at um, people who have to work really hard at stuff. I look at them and say, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. You clearly didn't get the card. That's really unfortunate for you and you're wasting your time. There's no amount of busting your butt at it. It's going to get you the card if you don't have the card. Um, fear feedback. And this is the one we, we, we talk about this a lot. Um, if my job is to prove how smart, talented, awesome, amazing, perfect I am, feedback, quite frankly, is terrifying because someone might say that I'm anything less than perfect and anything less than perfect sucks. There's pretty much nothing in between. And the last one uh, is resent others. So when somebody else is better than me, that by definition diminishes me. So your awesomeness makes me less awesome by comparison. And I'm not cool with that. So we tend to see um, some really unhealthy types of competitiveness in fixed mindset as well. Is there a connection, Eve, between a person's character and the mindset they choose? Hmm. Tell me what you mean by character, because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm thinking in terms of someone's authenticity, their values, mm. the philosophies they follow in their mind. So the character is in themselves what they believe to be true about themselves and their behaviors, does that then show itself? Is there a correlation between that and then how that's expressed as a mindset? Yeah. I think, again, it would really depend on what you put inside the character box and, and what you didn't. Um, I've seen, you know, people with uh, really, quite frankly, very wide-ranging belief systems and lifestyles and 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 careers and choices um, array really across the entire mindset spectrum. Um, the first thing you you said though was authenticity, and I do think that that is something that has a bit of a correlation with mindset. Um, we we tend to see a lot of image management in fixed mindset, because my job, again, is to prove myself to myself and everybody else. So there's there's a lot of concern with um, how I'm perceived and trying to manage how I'm perceived. Um, and, and that, for me, is less consistent with authenticity than what we tend to see in growth mindset. Growth mindset, the other alternative, um, not terribly concerned with how they're perceived by others. My value um, as a human does not depend on how you perceive me. So I do think from uh, the character perspective, the authenticity piece does seem to have some degree of correlation with mindset. Just, just as an aside, something I'm curious about, David Heinemir Hansen, who wrote Rework, and his most recent book was Remote, and he started Basecamp, a, a project management software company, and a super, super bright guy. 
And at the front of the book he wrote called Rework, he talked about that dark place called the real world, the place where no ideas can be born. It's dark. Nothing new has ever come out of it. He said the people go, that's the real world. What an awful place that must be. (laughs) Do fixed mindset people hide behind, oh, well, the reason I'm like that is in the real world or just because I'm a realist. Do they use that as a front to hide their fixedness? Uh, I think that certainly can sometimes happen. Um, certainly if someone is is bringing an idea to a fixed mindset person that the fixed mindset person doesn't agree with, uh, there are some tremendous mental gymnastics that uh, <laughs> fixed mindset is capable of engaging in. Some really impressive Cirque du Soleil kind of moves um, to get around Um, really what's behind a lot of fixed mindset is honestly fear-based decision-making, fear of judgment, fear of criticism, fear of failure. Um, So yeah, they, you know, we've tried this before. It won't work here. Um, All those sorts of excuses for things that are not my idea um, are kind of a, a nice way to stay safely inside the box of things that I'm already good at and not force me to step outside and potentially fail. Now, by contrast, you know, if I'm bringing, if I'm a fixed mindset person and I'm bringing you an idea of mine, um, reality is no impediment to my belief in its awesomeness. So I have some um, kind of a sliding scale for how much I think the real world is a concern, whether we're talking about my idea or your idea. So if I, I suspect that there are people who impose a fixed mindset on themselves due to the what they call the imposter syndrome, that voice that I'm not worthy and you're kidding yourself, why are you going to have a crack at this? And some people would perhaps think that they're born that way and that's just the way it is. My -hmm. question is, can, can hard work move somebody from, if they had the desire to move them from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? Yeah, absolutely. Um, If there were nothing that we could do about it, the conversations I have in organizations would be really short and they would be exclusively (laughs) focused on how do we recruit based on fixed mindset. That's it. Just pick the people who got the good card, uh, you know, and uh, for growth mindset, don't worry about anybody else. It's just a selection issue. And we did talk about that um, because, you know, we'd rather start at an advantage rather than a disadvantage. But, you know, I really come to believe over time that it, it is absolutely a combination of nature and nurture. Um, I, you know, I wanted to believe initially, and this was maybe naively optimistic of me, that we're all born growth mindsets. And then somehow we just find a way to mess most people up because there are way more of us in fixed mindset than there are in growth mindset. But I, I basically had to change my position on that um, because basically every parent in every session that I've ever done, uh, especially parents of multiple children, has said to me, uh-uh-uh, Eve, I got a couple of kids. This one started out this way. This one started out this way from day one. And I don't have kids myself, so I cannot refute that argument. So it seems like there is a card that all of us are dealt for mindset, and we don't all get the same card. And that really stinks because it's totally unfair. But then life happens to you. You get the parents, coaches, teachers, bosses, life experiences you get, and that can move you one direction or the other. Um, So it does seem to be a combination of both. The fact that nurture or the environment does play a really significant role means that there are lots of things that we can do both individually and as leaders in organizations or members of your community or parents, partners, um, to help people shift mindset. I've seen some pretty amazing stuff, honestly, over the years, um, and I can't always call it 
in terms of who's going to be the person who steps up and actually wants to make a change. Sometimes you get really surprised by, by who's interested. It's funny when I saw you speak, when I read Carol Dweck's work or hear podcasts that she's on, I found myself thinking that fix was kind of a negative thing. It was, it was a, the place you don't want to be. And I guess I'm curious to know is that is, is fixed always bad? I mean, can there be some positives that can come or can it be useful and helpful to actually have a fixed mindset in some situations? Yeah. And I, I will tell you, this is probably the conversation I have in 90% of the sessions that I do, usually, usually fairly early on in the conversation. Um, there's somebody in the group who, who asks a very open-ended question the, the way that you did, which is, hey, open question, is there ever a time that it's good? Or someone in the group who wants to convince me why fixed mindset is better. Um, you know, usually that's a sign that that's somebody who needs the conversation more than anyone else. Um, but it's usually kind of a tell, like poker tell, that's their tell. But, um, you know, honestly, I have really come to believe that there really isn't any situation where being genuinely fixed mindset is better. Um, and that's in part because when we talk about each mindset has um, kind of a combination of things, a belief that lead to behaviors, that lead to outcomes. Um, the outcomes that we tend to see for fixed mindset are just really unfortunate. They're, they're really suboptimized. Um, people tend to figure out what's my strength. I'll play to that strength. I'll improve to a certain point, but I'll get to a point where if I want to get any better, I'm going to have to engage in behaviors that are too scary, too risky. I could fail. I get afraid and then plateau. And, you know, I've really yet to find a situation where plateau you know, is, is an optimized performance strategy. Um, you're capable of more, but fear, fear of failure is holding you back. So you're, you know, basically phoning it in, even though you don't necessarily think that's what you're doing. So, you know, again, I've yet to find a situation where suboptimized is, is really what we're, we're shooting for. Um, you know, that being said, one of the things I always talk about really at the beginning of all our conversations around mindset is, you know, I want to be really clear and, and Carol Dweck, I think, was quite clear in her work as well, too, that we are absolutely not saying, you know, fixed mindset, bad people, growth mindset, good people. Uh, there's no value judgment on the person. I mean, I, I started, you know, almost as low on the fixed mindset scale as you could get. Um, and I wasn't a bad person necessarily. I just was making life a lot harder than it has to be. And, you know, life is already hard enough without making it harder than it has to be. So, you know, not bad people, good people, but, you know, Helpful behaviors and less helpful behaviors, for sure. You used a term then, which I've heard at the at the. Oh, sorry, not that, not that I'm a poker player, but I hear it in the poker world. Uh, what's the tell? And yeah. I'm curious to go. What's the tell to qualify a fixed versus growth mindset in yourself or in others? What's the process? The questions. What are the tells that would help us identify where we or somebody else sits? Yeah, um, I, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I think one of the best things you can do, which is probably the last thing that a truly fixed mindset person would do, um, because it would be so scary, is ask the people around you where they think you fall on this continuum from fixed to growth, because it is really a lot easier for people outside of your own head to see your behaviors more objectively than you do. Now, if you're fixed mindset, you're probably not going to do that because you're afraid of what might happen. But um, it is nevertheless probably the most accurate thing you can do. Ask the people around you and see, you know, what are the things that I say or do that sound like that description of fixed mindset um, that I gave before? I mean, we tend to see <clears throat> things like um, risk aversion, 
Um, we tend to see um, default response being no. Anytime you're given a, an option to do something new, you tend to default to no rather than to yes. Um, we like patterns. We like habits. Um, we've got kind of a box, safe space, things we know we can reliably nail every time, and we like to stay inside the box. Um, we're really good when somebody comes, you know, with a uh, with an idea, um, being able to identify all the reasons why it won't work, uh, you know, many of which may be totally legitimate. <laughs> um, but, you know, the job tends to be focusing on all the reasons why we shouldn't do something rather than uh, why we should. Um, a lot of defensiveness around feedback. Um, I won't seek it out when it comes to me. I tend to dismiss it or get very upset. Um, so that, there's just a lot of things. I, you know, one of the things that I find happens a lot um, in in sessions that I do, um, even with folks who are sophisticated enough to recognize that growth mindset's probably the right answer. So they're trying to play that game but you kind of scratch the surface and you, you can get the fixed mindset kind of right below the surface is they'll ask questions um, in a very particular way, which is something along the lines of, wouldn't you say that? Don't you think that? Isn't it true that, you know, which, which for me aren't really questions. They're declarative statements with a question mark at the end. And what they're looking for me to do is validate their perspective. <laughs> So that for me tends to be one of the sneaky tells um, around the type of questions that people ask. Okay. We're just going to have to pause for a second, Robert. I'll go back and change the number of my questions. questions that are coming up. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple coming up that are uh, obviously very fixed. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a scenario. You, you have a boss that you have, you've, got, you've done the tell and quite clearly your boss, him or her, is a fixed mindset. However, after this conversation, you firmly believe that you've got a growth mindset or your partner, you've done the tell and go, my partner, him or her, is definitely fixed. I believe I'm a growth. How do you approach that situation? How does a growth mindset person work or live with, have a relationship with a fixed mindset? Is it is it possible or is it just going to hell? Yeah, well, uh, well and I think that, Depending upon which situation we're talking about, there's somewhat different options, right? If I'm in a work situation, it's, you know, it's a lot easier for me to leave that work situation, find another work situation than it is for me to get off, you know, in marriage <laughs> or leave. something else. I, you know, I might be more invested in the, in the marriage than I am in the job. Um, so, you know, if, if it's, you know, if it's your boss, let's start with a work one. So if it's your boss and you realize, oh, shoot, I'm growth mindset. My boss is fixed mindset. What do I do about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different paths to go here. First is you could decide, you know what, it is not worth the time and effort to try to change this person. A better solution for me would be to find an environment that's, you know, that appreciates and enhances my growth mindset. That's a better choice. And maybe I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go pursue that. They might be in the same organization, might be somewhere else. You know, you, you could absolutely decide, you know what, not interested in that job, trying to change my boss. I already have a job. I don't need that job. Um, if you decide, well, you know, I, for whatever reason, I think it's actually worth it to try to have some of this growth mindset percolate up. Um, you know, I found usually the frontal assault on fixed mindset people doesn't work, you know, cause that the defenses go up and, and that tends to not be super helpful. Um, that being said, fixed mindset people really love to help because it makes them feel smart. 
And that's kind of their, their be all and end all in life. Look smart, feel smart. Um, so there are a couple of sneaky strategies you can try. One is to say, Hey, you know, I'm working on this mindset thing. I would love your help boss working on this thing. Um, because you know, you have great insight into how I behave and how I show up. And I would love for you to help me work on this thing. Um, and then of course they have to understand what mindset is in order to help you with that thing. And that's sometimes kind of a sneaky way to get them familiar with the concept. And sometimes, you know, I would say, I was almost going to say if, if people are not too far gone, they can recognize their themselves in it. And that's the first step to making a step in the, the, the other direction. But, you know, I've seen folks pretty far to the fixed mindset side also have that aha moment. So you could make it about, Hey, I want to work on this. I'd love your help. Um, you could also make it about the team. Hey, I think this would be the right answer for the team. Uh, it's uh, a big driver of performance in organizations. If we can get the whole team focused on growth mindset, we'll really perform well. And again, the focus isn't about changing the boss. It's about helping the boss enhance the team. But again, kind of a sneaky way to get them involved in the um, conversation without it being about them. Um, and then, you know, talking about the personal relationship kind of situation, if you're, if your spouse, if your partner, um, or someone else significant in your life is fixed mindset and your growth mindset, you know, that's probably where I see the greatest angst when I talk to people in sessions. Um, they feel they're, they're more growth mindset themselves, but they've got somebody in their life who they really deeply care about. And they see that person struggling with fixed mindset and they, they don't know what to do and they just desperately want to help them. Um, the, you know, the sneaky approach can work here too. Um, it's about me. I want you to help me with this. And again, that, that could work. Um, if they're kids, very often the fixed mindset partner will recognize the value of growth mindset for the kids. And so we can get them on board that way. Um, and then, you know, sometimes yeah, the, the, the foot in the door approach. So, well, don't read the whole book, go off and watch a little Ted talk about it or, or something else, just a little snippet um, here and there can, can be enough to get them interested. But, you know, the frontal assault, hey, your fixed mindset, we need to fix this. Um, not my recommended strategy. I like that uh, fixed mindset about, I think you said looking smart, being smart. And the way to approach that is to say, hey, I need your help with this. That's gold. You know, I, I've had to learn over the years how to be sneaky about it. Because when I first started talking about mindset, I, you know, I had a very frontal assault kind of approach. All right, yeah, we're all going to talk yeah. about our issues and find out where our stuff is. We're going to drag that stuff into the light. And we're going to work. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> so I needed to come up with another approach because it wasn't working. Um, and the way that I think about it now and what I always encourage other people to consider if they're trying to help somebody else who's fixed mindset as well is open the door, show people amazing stuff on the other side, invite them in, and then it's entirely up to them whether or not they're going to walk through and whether or not it's today, next week, next month. Um, but I found it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to see once they get over the initial no thank you, which is their response, you know, to everything, that's kind of the defensiveness mm. to get past that. Who's actually curious to learn more. And again, you know, the intensity of somebody's fixed behavior is not always a good predictor of whether or not they're ready for the message. Cause sometimes it's just the right message at the right time. Is there a level of genetics in this? Eve, I mean, is the, do genetics play a part at all? Because I'm thinking about parents hearing this conversation mm -hmm. and what part parents play from a very early age that has an influence where a child adopts a mindset based on the environment they're in. 
And then the other thing you talked about was the nurture versus nature. So where does genetics, environment, where does that sit for us with children? Yeah, and you know, you know, I don't know that we have any lab type evidence on this. I'm pretty sure no one's identified the gene or gene combinations for mindset yet. Probably only a matter of time with gene mapping and all that sort of thing. But um, again, there does seem to be a combination of nature and nurture. And again, I've come to that conclusion because literally every single parent every single week tells me, you know, they got a couple of kids, got two, three kids. They arrayed very differently on the mindset continuum, literally from day one. I mean, pretty much every parent of identical twins <laughs> said to me, oh yeah, nature loves variety. Somehow we got one of each from day one. Um, but then again, you know, you know, parents happen, coaches happen, teachers happen, and that pulls people in one direction or the other. So it really does seem to be both nature and nurture. Uh, you know, the, 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 the nature piece, the card you get dealt, Nothing we can do about that as far as we know. We're not to Gattaca on that yet. Um, but the environment piece, parents have an enormous role um, to play in that, as do teachers, coaches, bosses. Absolutely. I read a book called Bounce, which was written by the guy who was a world table tennis champion. And it was a, a really profound book. And one of the things he talked about was parents approaching children and going, oh, you're so smart. You are really, really clever. And the damage that can do where they were rewarding the outcome as opposed to rewarding the effort. And I've also heard Carol Dweck talk about this, and I'd just be interested in your thoughts that can that praise and the way we give that praise if we relate it back to mindset, can that be leading children towards this fixed mindset where it's said that when we always tell them how smart they are, when things get tough, they won't have a crack because they don't want to let you down. They, want, they don't want to fail. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of psychology of parents bringing on a fixed mindset for our kids? Yeah. And this is one of the things that's been so interesting, both as a psychologist and a researcher to discover, which is a lot of the things that we do to drive people to behave in fixed mindset ways, they come from really good place, but they have really unfortunate unintended consequences. And the language that we use to talk to people, and frankly, the language we use to talk to ourselves in our own head, super not helpful from this perspective. So yeah, all of this, you're so smart. You got that right without even trying. You're such a natural talent. Oh, you're so gifted. You know, all that stuff that talks about um, inherent skills or abilities, the cards that you were dealt at birth and how awesome they are. Um, people love to hear that stuff. I mean, it, it feels fantastic. It feels like a validation of myself when somebody tells me that. Super not helpful from a mindset perspective. Um, because if there's if, if life is a big genetic card game, you got some cards, that means there are certain other cards you didn't get. That's how it works. And if you didn't get the card, it's game over. And what tends to happen is that you know, people think that their job is to figure out what am I naturally good at? What are the cards I was dealt? And then focus on that stuff exclusively because there's no point in trying really hard. It's something that doesn't come naturally to me because if I don't have the card, no amount of, again, busting my butt at is going to get me the card if I don't have the card. So it, it very quickly puts people into, I think, really narrow boxes and makes them think that when they try something new and struggle, which is how it works when you try something new, that something's wrong. 
Um, we don't recognize that, you know, struggle and failure and persistence that's part of the process. That's how it works. Um, and people get afraid of those things. And it becomes, I think, an increasingly narrow world um, that people are willing to operate in. And I think that's such a shame. It's it's so self-limiting um, and it's so unnecessary. And I think it's, I think it's just inaccurate, <laughs> quite frankly. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the other day I heard somebody on a podcast say that we need to invent a new word for failure because that mm-hmm. brings its own connotation and perception about Mm -hmm. failure and we have this deep-seated emotion and feeling about failure so we don't try new things or experiment but it's interesting when I hear you say that that if we redefined what we mean by failure in our own world if we go it's part of the process so regardless of what happens at disappointments and failures whatever goes on if we reframe it in our own mind to go, well, it's part of the process. It's going to happen. It's part of the process. And there's a positive from it. Is that how a growth mindset would process a disappointment? Yeah, you know, I think so. I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the conversations around growth mindset is really destigmatizing the right kind of risk and failure. Not all risk and failure is good. We don't want to make the same stupid mistakes over and over again. That's not good. But we do need to destigmatize the right kind of risk and failure. And, you know, I, I talk about a lot of different examples of this in the sessions that I do. Um, one of the, the things I don't necessarily talk a lot about in my sessions, but I'm thinking about as we're, as we're having a conversation here, probably because this is what I'm spending most of my time focused on this week for myself, is um, one of the things I'm learning right now is Spanish working on becoming um, much better at speaking Spanish. And uh, one of the programs um, I've worked with over the years is uh, run by a guy who has a, a website called Fluent in Three Months, which he says is not a promise. It's just, it's just his you know, approach to things. And he talks about the fact that one of the things that really holds language learners back when we're trying to learn a language is fear of making mistakes. So we just don't talk as much as we need to. And it turns out the only way to learn how to speak a foreign language is to speak a foreign language. Um, And he says that when he's learning a new language, he sets a goal for himself. And I can't remember if it's 200 or 300, but he sets a goal for himself of making 200 to 300 mistakes a day. Because he says, if I'm making that many mistakes, I know I'm talking enough that I'm going to make incredible progress in learning this language. And I think that for me was a really interesting way of thinking about destigmatizing risk and failure. You know, Hey, there's, there's, there's 10,000 mistakes between me and fluency in this language. I can stretch those 10,000 mistakes out over the next 10 years, or I can cram them into the next three months and be fluent <laughs> in three months. I mean, which one do you want? <laughs> Sounds like a day in the studio for us, uh, Eve. That's <laughs> cramming it everything into. We, we crammed it into forty-five minutes. Hey, hey, steady on. <laughs> <laughs> Never work I mean, with you know, sound engineers, children, or pets. <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting way to think about it. If there's ten thousand mistakes between me and success at this thing, do I want to blow through those suckers as fast as I can and get there? Or do I want to like do the slow Band-Aid method and make it as painful as possible for as long as possible? It, it was just a really interesting way of reframing uh, what failure was. See, I told you, Robert. What's that? You told me. I told you we're on the right thing. <laughs> Get into it. Make a lot of mistakes. Mess it all up in 45 minutes. We're out. It's all we done. do it well. We're just, we do we're it just, really well. We're ahead of the game. In fact, we've been doing it for five seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd just like to point um, out that I started our session that way too with a failure. So I just got one of uh, <laughs> yeah, the show. 
See and what you goes zip around, it comes right around. In. Modeling the behavior. The Colorado girl fits right in. <laughs> now, tell me something to do with mindset. What's the internal dialogue for handling things that don't go your way in a growth mindset? Or, in fact, what's the dialogue they go through when they have great success? So, if somebody's in growth, what are they saying to themselves when things go pear-shaped, but also when they have great success and celebrating? Well, you know, I think that we tend to see some really different explanations of success and failure in growth mindset. Very often in growth mindset, if I succeed, you know what? I got lucky. I worked incredibly hard. I had a lot of help. So, I mean, there tends to be just a very balanced and realistic look at, you know, how did I pull this off? And who else was involved in this and what did it take to get here? And also learning from it and coming back even better the next time. Because really, I'm, I can be quite competitive in growth mindset, but it's really a very internal competitiveness. Do I really feel like I did the best I possibly could? And did I do better than I did last time? You know, if those two things are true, even if I didn't, you know, win today, I still feel pretty satisfied with how it went. And I'm learning like heck and coming back better the next time. And, you know, if things don't go well, it's really an opportunity to say, okay, so what, what did not go quite according to plan? Um, and what can I do better the next time? If it's, you know what, I, I phoned it in. I just did not give my best effort today. All right, well, you don't feel, I don't feel awesome about that, but I can fix that next time. You know, if it was somebody else was way more prepared than me, uh, they, they did better things than I did. My job is to draft off of all the stuff they very conveniently figured out for me and come back better leveraging that information the next time. So really, you know, each success or failure or each opportunity to perform is really an opportunity to do the best you possibly can, hopefully improve over the, the what you did last time and learn from it and come back better the next time. So when I hear you talk about fixed and growth mindset, particularly fixed, it kind of explains a lot of, it's an explanation for me of why things don't get done in politics. Mm. Because I could imagine in every political room, council, Democrats, Republicans, Labor, Liberal, no matter which party you're in, there is some person there with the fixed mindset who, regardless of whether it's right or not, just will not go with it. And I, I don't know, I just, I, it, it's, it's so clear to me that there are bottlenecks in all these groups. And should we not know how to deal with those fixed mindsets, nothing gets done. Well, you know, my, my father has a really interesting way of describing um, fixed mindset that we often see, whether it's, whether it's politics or anywhere else. He describes these folks as people who say, I'm right and that's all I know. <laughs> and I mean, you, you see where that's coming from. You're like, I am, I am right and I'm very certain of my rightness. I am not interested in any of their perspectives because I'm already, you know, well decided that I am right. And, that's all, and it's all about kind of, I think about it as defending the castle. I think about fixed mindset, you know, which for the record, no one would ever choose fixed mindset, you know, if given a choice, most people just have absolutely no idea that mindset's a thing. They don't realize fixed mindset's a thing. Everybody else is also fixed mindset. So it kind of seems normal. Growth mindset seems weird because that's where all the, you know, freaks are. Um, the very small number of growth mindset people. So they seem strange by comparison. But, um, you know, no one would ever pick fixed mindset as a way to go through life if you realize there was another option. Again, most people just don't realize 
it's a thing, you know, it just, again, it just seems like how life is it. It neither is good nor bad. We're all playing the same game, prove ourselves. My job is to play that game better than you, but Hey, we're all playing the same game. So yeah, it's, it's uh, unfortunate. If we go down that lane way of I'm right. And it's all I know. Are you observing today that for a lot more people, it's important for them to look and sound smart and they're not actually pursuing a life of being an active learner where it's more about, particularly I guess with social feeds where you are posting yourself in a good light with <laughs> how impressed other people should be with yourselves. Are we going down? Is that is that contributing, I guess, to a version of fixed mindsets as opposed to the growth, which is I'm an active learner, I don't know what I don't know, in which case I'm happy to be open and curious? Yeah, you know, a couple thoughts on this. Um, first one is, you know, I do think social media is is an interesting thing. It is it's so wonderful and so helpful, and it create you know such a tremendous connectedness around the globe across all kinds of people. I mean, it has wonderful capabilities. Um, in there are some dangers, I think, to it as well. Um, I'm a social psychologist by training. That's what my PhD is in. And one of the, the kind of classic old school um, fundamental theories of social psychology is something that's called social comparison theories, postulated by um, Leon Festinger. I want to say like maybe back in the 1950s or something. It's, it's a pretty simple theory, maybe a little too simple, but it basically says that in the, in the absence of objective standards of performance or evaluation, I compare myself to other people to see how I'm doing. You know, so there's there's no objective standard of pretty. So I compare myself to other people to see how pretty I am. There's no objective standard of happy, you know, happy or funny. So I compare myself to other people, and you know, it seems like a lot of social media. So you know, Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all those sorts of things, Twitter. Is, is kind of a giant arms race of social comparison theory. You know, is my highly curated life better than your highly curated life? You know, you, you look on my Facebook feed and you see, what, you know, what you don't see is Eve clinging to the side of a mountain for 10 minutes crying. You see Eve at the top of Machu Picchu. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a true story as it turns out. <laughs> you know, it's just... It's, very distorted um, perspective on life. And it, it, I think it, we can get into trouble if we start to think that other people's social media is their life. Because just like our social media feed is not our life, other people's feed is also not their life. But it's easy to get sucked into um, those things and forget that's true. I think that's especially true, honestly, for kids. As grownups, we have some ability to you know, be able to parse out truth from fiction and all that stuff. I think when you're a kid, God, it's so much easier, you know, it's so much more difficult, um, for them. It's, it's a lot easier to get sucked into that. Um, and you know, the other thing I was thinking about as you were asking that question too, was, um, again, there's just a lot of things that we do inadvertently to create an environment that drives people to fixed mindset. Um, and you know, there's a, a very, particular conversation that I remember is maybe, maybe about a year ago, I was doing a session, um, here in the U S for a big group. We had a big group that day. And there was one woman in the group, um, CEO of her company. Also, she had a lot of kids. I think she had maybe four or five kids and she came up to me on a break and wanted to talk about one of her kids. I mean, we were having a, a business conversation, um, in the main session, but she wanted to talk about one of her kids offline and uh, she wanted to talk about her son. And she said, you know, he's so smart. He's so talented. 
He's so gifted. Everything comes so naturally to him, but he's so risk averse. He just, I just can't get him to try anything new. He's just terrified of trying anything new. Like, where is that coming from? And, and, and what's going on with that? What do I do about it? And, you know, you could see the angst just radiating off of her. And, you know, she had very specific ideas about raising kids. She had a lot of kids, so she had a lot of practice. And she said, you know, I, I don't pay my kids for chores. I feel like if you're a kid, you get chores. That's, that's part of the deal. She said, I do pay my kids for grades though, but I only pay them for A's. Do you think that has anything to do with it? <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, I'm going to have to go with yes on this one. Um, but even as the words were kind of coming out of her mouth, she you could see she was realizing, oh no, I'm the one who's actually doing it. I mean, what she'd done was create an environment for this kid where he figured out what am I naturally good at? What are the things I can reliably nail every time? And he was staying inside the box because there's money inside the box. There's no money outside the box. Kid wasn't stupid. He'd figure this out. And, you know, it was, it was just interesting to watch her process that and realize, you know, she wasn't doing that to make her kid risk averse. She was trying to push him to be the best he could be. It just had really unfortunate, unintended mindset consequences. And I think so much of the way we set up schools and businesses um, do many of the same things, honestly. And kind of, you sort of talking about the the impact that incentives or that sort of thing can have on someone's mindset or their, I guess, desire to experiment. Does the people you surround yourself with, so your immediate friends, the people you hang out with, who you spend time with and listen to, can that drive your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't remember where I read this. We've probably all read the same statistics somewhere and it's become urban legend that, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or whatever the number was. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's probably a little too literal because we don't always get to choose those, those folks. Um, but I do think there is an enormous impact on the people you surround yourself with. If you feel that you yourself are struggling with fixed mindset and you want to become more growth mindset, it's going to be really hard to do if everybody else around you is also growth mindset. Um, I, I do think that who you choose to spend your time with um, really has an enormous impact, not just on mindset, but really on everything. I mean, if, if someone's a recovering alcoholic, they don't go and spend hopefully every night at a bar and hope that they won't drink as a result of that. I mean, like you are not setting yourself up for success there, do yourself a favor, put yourself in situations where you're likely to be successful. Um, and I do think that, you know, there's a pretty core, clear correlation to that with mindset as well, to the extent that you can surround yourself with people who are at least as growth mindset and maybe even more growth mindset than you, um, you're really helping yourself out. I'm just, this is a final question. We've had guests on the show who have been people who specialize in the brain. We've talked a lot about neuroplasticity and the fact that thoughts and actions can change the shape and the health of your brain. Do you, do you know what's behind the impact that the fixed or growth mindset has on the brain? I mean, is it, are those, depending on where you are, fixed or growth, is that having an impact on the way we process our work within the brain? Yeah. And, you know, I haven't seen any data on this myself, so that doesn't mean that's not out there. Um, 
the brain and neuro everything is kind of the hot thing these days. So somebody is probably working on this with fMRI machines checking out to see um, when people fail at things, how do they respond if they're fixed mindset or growth mindset? And that'd be something I'd be super interested to see. You know, I would be surprised if that, if we couldn't see some difference in how the brain is actually processing things, because I mean, basically thoughts are habit patterns. We get into habit patterns with our thinking in the same way that we get into habit patterns with everything else. Um, and the more we do those things, the more we kind of create, I don't want to say hardwired, but really very super highway type pathways in the brain that become a lot easier to keep traveling on rather than going to something else. I think I remember, I can't remember where I read this, maybe a couple of years ago, I was looking at a meta-analysis um, of habit patterns. And so it was an analysis of studies, so study of studies. Um, and it was some obscene number or some obscene percentage, like 80% of the behaviors we all engage in in every single day aren't conscious choices. They're just habit patterns. We don't experience them that way, but it really does say that most of us are going through most of our lives on automatic pilot. And that's not just for our behaviors, it's for the way we think about things. And, you know, if my automatic pilot default is fixed mindset, or if my automatic pilot default is growth mindset, it's going to have some really significant consequences for pretty much every part of my life. It's funny, I heard an interview just this week with a guy who trains dogs, like canines, for the Navy SEALs. And he was talking about the psychology of working with a dog. And he's saying, before you take a dog on to big responsibility, really think through what you're going to do and think in terms of the psychology of the dog. And he was saying that every now and then you've got to shake things up. So if you whistle, dog comes to your feet, you pat him or give him a treat and you train him, every now and then you've got to shake that up because the important thing is to make your dog think. So if you really want to understand the psychology of a dog and have a great relationship with your dog, you've got to make the dog think. And that's by doing something, but shaking it up. And kind of hearing you talk about the same thing with being hardwired into a fixed or growth or our beliefs, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's the same, but different, but every now and then shaking ourselves up to create some new patterns, which is what keeps us fresh. And then I Think back to people like Elon Musk who say they are very wide in their reading, like they they read wide and varied, so not just one lane. They will read about anything, which I suspect is a way of shaking up their canine brain. So I'm not exactly sure where I was going with that, Eve, but I thought you being a doctor, you might be able to make some sense of what the <laughs> heck I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about one of the most fundamental ways I characterize fixed mindset versus growth mindset is fixed mindset is, is all about certainty and growth mindset is all about curiosity and Ooh, you know, that, that, yeah, reading far and wide and asking questions, not the, don't you think that wouldn't you believe that, but really genuine questions trying to understand. I think those are things that really characterize growth mindset, that, that just curiosity about everything, recognizing, you know what, Hey, I only have 24 hours in my day, just like everybody else. So I have to make my choices. You know, I can't, I can't spend 24 hours on every single thing. It doesn't work that way mathematically, but, but I'm at least curious about lots of things. The interview just paid for itself. Eve. <laughs> wow. We saved it for the last minute. Woo. Over the finish line. That's gold. gold. 
fixed certainty, growth, curiosity, gold. Yeah. Gold right there. <laughs> now, uh, glad I could deliver for <laughs> Before I find out where people can go to find out more about you, I want to drop the word of the day. Ooh. Methodologically speaking. Methodologically speaking. What that is, oh, how good is that? That's a great word. Methodolog- methodologically speaking. I love that. That sounds very smart. I, oh, don't feed the beast, right? That's getting into Rick's mindset. <laughs> don't feed the beast. <laughs> You're making us sound very smarter. <laughs> Eve, um, this has been terrific. I enjoyed meeting you. I enjoyed watching you speak. Uh, and it's been a treat understanding more about this mindset stuff. I, I really enjoy hearing you articulate it. People who want to know more about you, your work, uh, where do you send people to? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the best place is my website, which is evegrodnitsky.com, which is E-V-E-G-R-O-D-N-I-T-Z-K-Y. So evegrodnitsky.com. What's the nationality behind Grodnitsky? Uh, it came with a husband. Um, and my husband <laughs> was born in Argentina. He, he really must have been worth it, right? Really must have been worth it. Um, but uh, he was born in Argentina, but his uh, paternal side came from Russia. So it's our understanding that if you go back couple generations, it's actually Russian. Was your maiden name something as imp- equally as impressive, like Smith? Uh, it was actually Masida, which apparently started out as Nechida, coming from uh, the Czech Republic or maybe the Austria-Hungarian Empire and getting uh, mangled at Ellis Island. So it, it used wow. to get messed up too, uh, but I have to say Grodnitsky gets messed up in even more creative and interesting ways than Masida ever did, but he was worth it. My wife's name is Tanay which is um, a hybrid of um, Tanya and Renee because her mum couldn't decide on, on, uh, on which one she liked the most. So really you, nice. You should, you should hear some of, the, um, should hear some of the, the variations that that gets, Tani and Tanny and... <laughs> Robo, no Robo. Doubt. Yeah, Robo, Robo. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Eve, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to connect uh, and we really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and thoughts and philosophies about this. It's been great. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, guys. The Mojo Radio Show. Don't you love that surname? Grodnitsky? Grodnitsky. Yeah. It's so bad, cool. It? it sounds really smart. No, why don't you have a PhD? <laughs> too, too, way too smarter for this show. Yeah, I know. We do, we do dive over our heads very often on this show, don't we? Now, speaking of which, we have a little conest running. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. All right. Here's the setup, folks. Last week on the show, we had a great guest and we rewound the clock with a guy called Darren Altclass, who was an award-winning brand strategist, author, and speaker himself. He's got a new book out called This Way, Please. It was a great show. It's a topic that I think needs the spotlight shone on it because we are getting caught up in promotion and we're forgetting about brand and the true word of marketing. So at the end of the show, Darren threw us a line. He said, let's catch up soon. I'd like to buy you guys dinner. Now, Robbo and I are always up for a free feed and a beer, right? Always up for a free nosh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we went, right, sweet, let's do it. And furthermore, he said, let's bring some of your listeners. So we are now running a little contest on the Mojo Radio Show if you would like to come and spend an hour or so with us having dinner, we'll take along a recorder. We'll probably record some bits and pieces for the show and have dinner with a world-class award-winning brand strategist, Darren Altclass, to discuss his book. But more specifically, you get time with this guy 
to talk about your own business, your own brand, your own strategy. This is absolute gold. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you to enter. This is not one of these things with lots of hoops to jump through. All you've got to do is email us at info at themojoradioshow.com. We'll pick a couple of people out. We'll give you the details, hook you up with a free dinner. You've got to get yourself to Sydney to the dinner. Darren's going to pay for the rest, so beers and and nosh mm. is on Darren. Not this Darren. <laughs> we'll, we'll both be there. We don't know how many people yet because we haven't completely confirmed all the details, but nevertheless, <laughs> let's not let details get in the way of a cracking idea. Never. Hit us up on email. We'll pick a couple out, let you know who's coming, and uh, we're setting up, so be a good night. So there you go. I, mean, I think I think the big thing for this for me is that is is you know, dollar value. I think you mentioned last week you'd pay about a grand just to hear Darren talk generically. What's it worth to sit down with someone of his caliber for two hours or so and um, talk specifically about your own brand? That's the big thing that I'm looking forward to. Well, you know how I think over the last five seasons where we get guests on and for you in the studio here, because you've got your studio business going, that quite often if we get like a Christopher J. Reid talking about LinkedIn or we get a Darren or we get a a guest who's coming up, um, Catherine Brownlee, talking about networking – Quite often we get to the end of the show or once we've finished here in the studio and you talk about some of the notes you've taken of things you can do to promote yourself and the studio. Mm. That's that on steroids because you're going to sit there, everyone will be lubricated with a couple of beers and you can sit there with the shoulders dropped and talk about your business, your brand specifically and have not only Darren talk about it, but you're also going to get the other people sitting at the table brainstorming and helping your business. So- I mean, that's uh, that's really is gold value for anybody who's Absolutely. serious about their own brand. Indeed, indeed. I'll be, I'll be there and I'll, I'll even use a knife and fork, I promise. It's the first time for everything. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. So as you can hear, folks, I thought the tailout song this week that fits really nicely is Brand on the Run by Paul McCartney and Wings. What do you think? Um... I think you got the name wrong. <laughs> it's band on the run, right? From what brand. I remember. Oh, okay. Here okay. on the show, it's brand on the run. Right, I'm sure he used that somewhere in the. I'm sure somewhere in the world, somebody pronounces it brand on the run. All right, we're taking some creative license then. All right, nice one. I've, I've actually got a little story about Paul McCartney. If you're interested, that's ironic. Yeah, <laughs> it's ironic. He was uh, the the song yesterday. He, uh, he was driving on a, a long, hot, dusty drive to his mate's place and had the lyrics in his head. And when he got to his mate's place, he wanted to put his final vision for the song down, which was his way of working. Um, picked up the guitar and his mate's guitar was right-handed. And of course, Paul McCartney being a left-handed guitarist, his mate said, well, what are you going to do? And Paul basically said, well, I don't care. I'll just figure it out. So he noodled around and still managed to write himself the song yesterday, which of course, Became uh, one of the Beatles' biggest hits. In fact, I think what McCartney said was, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great line from one of our former guests, Stan Peake, up on the studio wall. Absolutely. Hold my beer. And watch, watch this. this. <laughs> I think it's a good um, example of what Eve, Dr. Eve, was talking about with fixed mindset versus growth mindset, isn't it? Because mm. a fixed mindset would go, well, it's the wrong-handed guitar. Not that I knew there was a left or right-handed guitar, but... You're going, well, I can't play that. Yeah. And all the excuses not to do it. Whereas a growth mindset says, well, let me have a crack at it. So at least 
I think one of the issues today is we find all the reasons not to do something. Mm. We don't find the growth mindset of let's just have a crack and see what happens. And the chances are that 99 people who picked up the guitar may not have written a great song, but one in a hundred is one of the great songs of all time by arguably one of the great songwriters of our lifetime. So, uh, but I think to play out with that song, it's a bit dreary. I think we should play it with Brand on the Run. I'll go with that. We're out. Stuck inside these four walls Sent inside forever Never seeing no
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. <laughs>